morning. So we're talking about time, and today I'm going to talk about Christ's first coming. And you have had many Christmas services. You've heard people talk about the nativity. So I want to talk about it in a little bit different light this morning. We are going to cover a lot of Scripture. The one place that I just want you to stay in is uh, Luke chapter 4. We'll get there. But I wanted to start with a passage from Isaiah. And we've heard this. You hear this um, every Christmas, at least verses 6 and 7. This comes from Isaiah chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as the joy of the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as in the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle battle tumult And every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So, this is very, this is a very complex passage. Very complex. And here's why, because it ends with this declaration that there's going to be a son, And it ends with the declaration of all these things that have to do with the Davidic kingdom and God's everlasting kingdom and everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And it begins with a people who are in darkness, the nations. Very complicated. So I'm going to try to make a complicated subject simple this morning. I hope I can do that. But to begin, I have to let this thought sit with you. God's zeal will deliver. And Jesus reveals God's zeal. I think we underestimate what the Word of God tells us. It gives us hints. I have now gone through four children who all were trying to figure out what they're going to do for the rest of their life. Do I go to college? Do I not go to college? If I go to college, what am I going to do? 
and um, or what should I do this year? Should I be in this sport or that sport or all kinds of decisions? Wouldn't it be nice to have a hint? You know, like if Iska opened up her diary one morning, and, oh, she gets a new hint for today how how she can make a decision. Scripture gives us not just hints, but gives us truths that we can count on. So I want to begin with darkness this morning. How many of you have ever been in the dark? How many of you have a specific memorable experience about being in the dark and not having any light? Okay, I'm going to give you two of mine. The first one, I'm not going to tell the full story, but I was in a 1977 Chevrolet Caprice trunk. And I'm not going to tell you that story, because I don't tell anybody that story. I had to tell my family, and I don't, I don't even think they appreciate it. But when I got into this trunk, my experience of being in trunks was from my dilapidated 60s cars, which if you got in the trunk of a 60s car, pretty much, and I had a Chevy Impala, you could actually, with your hands, lift out the back of the bench seat, and you could actually crawl into the front of the car. And... In my cars, there were holes all over. So when I was, I could close my trunk and there was light here, light there, light all over the place. Well, I was in a trunk and it was pretty dark and I kind of panicked. But I'm not going to tell you that story. My other story comes from Boy Scouts. Now, I, we have a good Boy Scout system here and, and uh, I have only good things to say about Boy Scouts, but I don't have that many good Boy Scout experiences to tell you about. So I'm going to tell you about two of them, and this one has to do with darkness. So I'm in fifth grade and just started Boy Scouts from Cub Scouts and have all, meeting all kinds of new people, and we're going to take a trip, and we're going to go to Eagle Cave. Now, there aren't many caves in Wisconsin, so you've got to drive quite a ways to find a cave. And we're going to Eagle Cave, and we're going to camp out and sleep two nights in Eagle Cave. Now, you know, this is my first year in Boy Scouts, so I don't realize what I need to do to protect myself. So this is what happens. We get in a bunch of cars, we drive the Eagle, Eagle Cave, and I, you know, I'm, I'm going to follow everybody else. Well, the first place we go after going through registration is to find a place to put your sleeping bag. Well, wouldn't you know it, we weren't the first ones there. It's always good to be the first ones there. And we came to this small part of the cave. And I say small because if you've ever been in Carlsbad Caverns or Mammoth Cave, they're big. The Eagle Cave, not very big. And the place where everybody slept was long and, I don't know, it probably was about 15 feet wide, but it probably wasn't more than 8 or 9 feet high, and it went dark, away in the dark. And we had 150 Boy Scouts there from all kinds of different troops. We might have had, I don't know, 15 from our troop. And the first thing you got to do is go find a place to put your sleeping bag. Well, I followed the rest of my troop down to the end of the cave, and um, the last person had a sleeping bag set down, and right next to it was a river of running water. Okay, well, I'll go back. So I go back trying to find a spot, and there was a spot. Dribbling water. 
And I said, okay. Well, there was a small dry spot there, so I put, I didn't put my sleeping bag out like everybody else because I wasn't going to get soaked. So I put it, you know, rolled up, and I put my stuff over in the corner. And I don't think I'd really known what dark was until they turned out the lights at 9 o'clock. So I roll out my sleeping bag, and of course it doesn't take but a couple of minutes, and my sleeping bag is soaked. I was going to bring it for you this morning. I still have it. It's in the back of my car, many rips in it. There's a Coleman sleeping bag, and that Coleman sleeping bag, it just soaked up all the water. So I remember sitting there, and I'm sh- and, and the other thing was that it was spring, and it just so happened it was pretty nice outside, like 55 degrees, sunny. But in a cave, they don't care, you know? I mean, it's always the same. So I'm in my sleeping bag, and I'm wet, and I'm soaking, and I don't know. I don't know that, I mean, when, when you're in a place like that, every second is going tick, tick, tick. And I, I still remember the first night, I could not sleep. I'm freezing cold, and I, I, I'm thinking, okay, when, when is it going to be, when is somebody going to say, turn the lights on, you know? I didn't bring my flashlight, but I couldn't turn it on anyway. It was lights out all night. I, I did get some sleep, but um, I could not wait. I, I could not, maybe I got an hour of sleep, and I was just waiting for someone to say, it's time to wake up. And I remember just thinking, please, please, I'm listening for breaths. I'm listening for rustling. I'm listening for anybody who can, you know, it shows me that people are starting to wake up. It was dark, and I was uncomfortable, and I would have given anything to be home. <laughs> um, I didn't know that you could, like, go to a leader. Well, I did go to a leader. I go, well, you just find a place, you know, and it's like, okay. Um, I didn't know that anybody would look out for me. I was just there, and I was the peon of... What I saw was I was got the worst spot in the whole cave. Back on that now, I, I lived through it. Didn't really dent my spirits, but I remember that being the longest, darkest night of my life. I have another Boy Scout story, too. So in Boy Scouts, we were active. We were active troop, and, you know, we did things, and my parents wanted me to go do things. And so they were going to go to the Museum of Science and Industry. So, sure, you know what? This is wrong. It's not Boy Scouts. It was Cub Scouts. I just realized it now. I was in Cub Scouts. So it's my last year at Cub Scouts. We're going to the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago. Great place to go. Just a wonderful place to go. So we go, and I'd been there before with school, and, and so we go there, and, and I, I get to see Lincoln's bust and all kinds of things that are really cool. And we were, I was with a group, but for about 20 minutes, we were with that group, and I had to go to the bathroom. So I asked somebody in the group, hey, where's the bathroom? Went, oh, that way. Just go back to the entrance. Well, I went back to the entrance, and I'm looking around, and I can't find it. We were there for about three hours. That whole time, I'd wander and try to find somebody. And, and, and finally, I, it was like, you can't really talk to the leaders. This is very important, too. When we have kids around the building, make yourself a friend to them. 
Because you don't know what they need or when they need it. I didn't, I didn't know that there was any leader that would actually want to help me. So finally, I got the nerve, and I go to a leader, and I go, where are the bathrooms? And he said, well, right there, past the elevator. So I, I can see the elevators, and I'm standing there, and I'm looking, and I do not see the bathroom. I still, to this day, don't know if they were down the hall, where they were. Um, so the whole time, I'm just, and I asked a couple kids, I go find another group. Oh, hey, do you know where the bathroom is? It's like, you know, I couldn't tell the same person twice because that would be humiliating, right? <laughs> Wrap everybody together. Right before we left, I, I found another leader and I said, where's the bathroom? Oh, right over there. Now, to, you know, as an adult, I realized, you know what, I should have done a little more searching or and maybe I was missing something, but, you know, I was just a kid. So sure enough, we got in the car, and I had not gone to the bathroom. Now this is what, I, so we had to drive from Chicago to Milwaukee. It's about 90 miles, and in those days, you didn't have an interstate system like we have today. So this is what I was doing the whole trip. <laughs> and, and, and in those days, you could put more than one kid in the back. So we had five kids in the back seat. You know, the front was a bench seat. There were four kids in the bench seats. So we had nine kids in this car. It was a sedan. And, and I'm just, I'm trying to, you know, well, I made it out the door of the car. And then pretty much, I completely washed my pants. And I remember I had to ring the doorbell. I don't know why I had to ring the doorbell. Maybe I was embarrassed. I'm sure our front door was open. I don't know. But I, I came up to the door, and I rang my doorbell, and my, my mother comes to the door. I, I don't know what to say. I just did the one thing that I've probably been told a million times to do. If you have to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom. Don't soil your pants. And I'm, I'm a third grader. I'm a third grader. Um, so out of those stories, I wanted to pull a couple things that I think are valuable for our conversation this morning. And the first one is, is that, and I have more stories about this, but something that's very difficult to talk about my mother would tell me stories about going to visit places, and I, I would not go to the bathroom because I, I, I wasn't comfortable. I didn't know where it was. I didn't, I didn't know if I could go there or not. And, and, and so talking about something really, really difficult and embarrassing and humiliating, like you know, going to the bathroom, um, is something that I only felt comfortable with my parents. There was some kind of security with being at home and in a place where I could at least do something about it or have a conversation with somebody I, uh, that I trusted that, that I needed, that I needed. Because any of those people that I'd gone up to and asked where to go to the bathroom, if I would have explained how bad I needed to go and if I would have asked them to help me, they probably would have. They would have walked me right there. But it's just so humiliating that I couldn't go to, get to that level. And secondly... I needed somebody who could understand my situations and, and, and who I was and what was difficult. 
two nights sleeping in a soaked sleeping bag without the proper clothes at you know in 55 degree weather 52 or whatever the cave was it gets cold every year i think about this story um just somebody who i could trust with this this personal difficulty And then lastly, when I talk about things of those stories, I desperately needed light. I, really de- I, I knew what light was that night, and I desperately needed light. I desperately needed to be home in a place where I was secure, and I knew that I'd be cared for. I desperately needed caregivers that I could trust. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, um, but over and above any memory that you can have regarding any of those things, the world, the world, the nations were in a place where they didn't even have a recollection of someone, a God, who cared about them. It is darkness multiplied upon darkness it was black and they'd been trying for thousands of years to figure out how to appease and figure out gods and goddesses and the whole thing and israel didn't know that god would ever respond to them it was a dark time it was a dark time So I want to take us now to this uh, conversation in uh, Luke chapter 4, and I'd just like to show one thing, and then I'd like to spend some time processing what it really was when God brought light through Jesus Christ. This is what the Scripture says in Luke 4. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of spirit of, Gal- of, of the Spirit to Galilee, and, re- and a report about Him went out through all the surrounding con- country, and He taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up and read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he rolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, when we look at this passage of scripture, I want to tell you that we have a creator who understands human waste, who understands our junk. And we have a creator who who understands our situation because he came to do it. He went to Eagle Cave. I won't say that he got into the trunk of a car. But he was human, and he experienced everything 
that we experience. It is why he came, and it is why we can trust him with the things that we're going through. And lastly, Jesus brings a promise of freedom, of security, of caregiving, even beyond our parents. Even beyond our parents. Now, if we just break this down, I'd like to do that right now. So the first part of this, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The Spirit of the Lord speaks to the fact, just like we talked about last week, is that God Himself, His Spirit, was Genesis 1. It was hovering over the what? Darkness. Over the darkness of the waters. So He came understanding darkness, and He came anointed. That means He came in power to do something about it. And lastly, it is good news. And guess what? In those situations I just told you, I was the poor one. I was the one who didn't know who to go to, what to do, and how to help myself. I was in need. And we all are in need. This is what Jesus said he's come to do. So now I'd like to look at this last part as he's declaring what he's going to do, and as he's reading Isaiah 61, he says this, He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Three things. Now, if you do have your Bible, you could flip back to Isaiah 61, and you could compare the two. And if you compare the two, you're going to find that they're pretty close. But there's something a little weird here. There's something going on as Jesus is in the synagogue and he's talking to these Jews. He slips something in there that's very significant. And in fact, in a couple moments, it's going to stir them up to try to kill them, kill him. So I have here a little bit of a side-by-side breakdown of this verse. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And then, so on the left-hand side, I have Luke 4. And on the right-hand side, I have Isaiah 61. And if you look at this, you'll see that sure enough, he, he does make this statement about proclaiming liberty to the captives. And he makes this statement about liberty to all those who are oppressed. But there's this one part that's kind of left out or it's totally, diff- it's totally interpreted wrong or it's spoken wrong because he says recovering of sight to the blind and the thing that's left over in Isaiah 61 is he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Doesn't it make you think? Where does he get blind? Blind is pretty obvious. I mean, it's a word that's very clear, whether it's in Hebrew or in Greek or Aramaic. If you're blind and you're recovering sight, that's pretty clear language. Well, the answer is given in the nativity accounts. Parts that we miss. 
Look at this. Luke chapter 2. Jesus is brought to the temple and Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles or the nations and for the glory to your people Israel. If you looked at that passage from Isaiah that we read at the beginning, it kind of looks like the end is all about Israel. But if you look at the beginning, that passage is declaring God's work for all creation and all people. What Jesus is doing is he's actually very intelligently bringing in Isaiah 42. This is what it says in Isaiah 42. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light to the nation. Next verse, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon and the prison, uh, and from the prison, those who sit in darkness. This is, this is really amazing because what Jesus is doing, there's almost like this Declaration of his anointing that is spoken in Gentile terms, and it's also spoken in Hebrew terms. It doesn't matter who you are. It really is quite remarkable. So I have a slide here so that we can kind of look at this again. If we look at that same slide, this recovery of sight to the blind is really kind of focusing on this brokenhearted thing, and Jesus is interposing these two scriptures together. Okay, that's a lot of study and detail, and how is that helping me, Pastor Dale? Well, I, if you look at the back of your bulletin, you've been filling this in backwards. I started from the end, and I'm going back the other way. But Jesus is the light to both Israel and nations. He's, he's the light to all people. He's the, cre he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's the spirit of God who breathed life. He's the one. Now, let me say, make a statement. Jesus has not left you out. I don't know how to make a comparison today. It's very hard for us to think about people who, who are left out. But let me just say that God loves the Muslim people. It is not a perfect comparison, but there is a lot of enmity between us and them. 
I'm speaking generalities now. We have had conflict. We have had murder. We have had killing. This is how the Gentiles felt about Israel, and this is how Israel felt about the Gentiles. And there had been killing, and there had been murder, and there was a lot of hate. And God, through Jesus Christ, has breached that hate for those who will receive it. Now, let me take this to another level. It does not matter who you are. Jesus didn't come more for me because I went to seminary than he did for you. He didn't come more for me because I grew up in a certain area or lived in a certain way. I came here and I was told that we will not call you as our pastor unless you have four kids and a van, a minivan. It wasn't quite said in those words. But it was said. Those of you who are laughing, you know it was said. You are not left out. You aren't left out. It doesn't matter whether you've had a bad childhood or you've had a great childhood. It doesn't matter whether you've walked through a very difficult relationship or many relationships. It doesn't matter whether you're single married or you're only child or one of many, many children. It doesn't matter whether you're young or old. Jesus created you and he came for you. And he proved it by coming to earth very significantly. And he has not missed one thing about your life. You, you thought that he forgot about something. He has not forgotten. And he desires to bring light to you. Because he is the light. Now, I want to end here with this. Like your last fill in the blank for those of you who just have to fill in all the blanks, okay? Jesus came from obscurity. Now, this is very significant because you and I, we always, we always plan like, okay, well, this is how you'll help me, God. Tell me. Okay, and I'll just bring up some situations. Um, I need rent. I need my rent tomorrow. God, give me my rent. Can you please give me my rent money? So this is how we think about it. Okay, well, let's see. It could drop from the sky. Or let's see, there's one of these two people I'm going to talk to. Or We plan how that's going to happen. We, we plan it in our world. We don't think, oh, you know what I really need is I need a safe place where I can live. We don't, we don't think in those terms because we create our own terms. This is the place I'm not moving. This is the place I'm going to be. And uh, God, I need money. You've got to think out of the box. Because God has thought way out of the box and provided his light for you. Not to do what you want, but to reveal himself as the provider and sustainer of life. Get it? Now, just to kind of end the stories, because my, 
my whole processing of those stories were completely, I was left out and I had no help. And as I thought about it, you know what? God provides answers if we're just willing to look for the answers. If I, has, as a little boy, now I wouldn't have done this, but if I would have stood by those elevators, which I know everybody's pointing to me at these elevators. I saw the elevators. If I would have just stood there, like, looking around, um, I, I wouldn't have put my hand down here. But if I would have just, like, stood there, like, for 20, 25, 30 minutes, someone would have come up and said, little boy, do you need help? Right? But I, you know, my world was, it's embarrassing, go find a person, you, you can't talk to somebody, I mean, who knows what all was in my mind. I, so I was cutting out all, probably thousands of people who would come to my aid. When I think about the little, that Eagle Cave, I remember now, what happened was all the troops, all the boys, they all, you know, they, you, you slept together with your troop until it got wet or damp. So right next to me was a boy who, he only got a little bit of his sleeping bag wet because, I mean, it was a pretty clear little kind of divot in the cave. But he did get some of his sleeping bag wet. And he, he was not next to his troop. He was all alone sitting there. And I was alone while I'm sitting here. My troop was way down there. Who knows where his troop was? Um, you know what? We could have made it to, through the night together. Never thought about that boy until I started processing that whole story later. He might have been up the whole night, too. <laughs> he wasn't as wet as I was. I can tell you that. But he was wet. And he was alone. You don't know where Jesus' help is going to come from. But I can tell you what, Jesus' help is genuine and it's human because he was a human. 